Grab your Bible and open it to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 13. First Samuel 13, verse 13. Good to be back in the house of God again. Thank you, Jeff, for filling the pulpit for me last week while we were on vacation. We had a good time. I'd like to say it was a relaxing vacation. It wasn't so much relaxing, but it was still a good time. I rode a horse, and that was fun, man. I didn't even get bucked off. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 13. I'm going to ask you to stand your feet one more time, if you would. First Samuel 13, verses 13 and 14. Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly, you have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. And this is the verse I really want to close in on this morning. The Lord has sought or looked for himself a man after his own heart. God is looking for a man to lead his people, he said, that's after his own heart. And I want to talk about seeking God's heart this morning. Father, as we pray... <clears throat> Over your word, Lord, we recognize that your word is already anointed. It's alive, it's powerful, quicker than any two-edged sword. But we as flesh are weak. So we give way to your word this morning. We yield to it. We ask you, Lord, to let it cut us where it needs to cut us. Let it heal us where it needs to heal us. I pray for your anointing this morning, the anointing of the Holy Ghost, as I am your vessel today to speak this word in the way that you see fit. And we give you praise for it all in Jesus' name. Let us find your heart today in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen. So a little background in this story. Many of you know that God had appointed a king over Israel at the request of Israel. God really didn't want to, to do that. But the nation of Israel decided they needed a king, so God gave him a king. And the man's name was Saul. Saul started off okay, but he kind of took a, a turn uh, in his own direction. I'm not going to go through the whole story. But basically, God gave Saul a a responsibility. He gave him a specific command when they went to battle against the Amalekites to destroy all of them, not to spare anything. And Saul, in his pride and in his concern, I guess, for what people thought about him, he disobeyed God, spared some of the sheep, took some of the best livestock. He, he took the king of, of uh, Amalek and put him in prison as kind of a, a bragging trophy, I guess you might say. And so the bottom line with this scripture as we get into it is that Saul just had not been obedient to God. In the big scope of things, the things that he did maybe didn't seem like a big deal to us, but the bottom line was God was saying, look, Saul, you, you have a different heart than I have. Uh, you have a heart that's taking you the opposite of the way that I want to take you. And so God takes Saul out of that position, and that's what he's saying right here when Samuel the prophet comes to Saul and says, look, God is going to take you out of this position, and he's going to find somebody that has his heart. The Lord has sought or looked for himself a man after his own heart. So today, even from that moment, even all throughout today, God still has a work to do in the earth. How many of you believe that this morning? God has a work that he wants to do through the earth, and he needs people to do it, but not just any people. He needs a people who has his own heart. Now the problem with that is that there's a huge difference between God's heart and our heart, Right? Our heart by nature is contrastly different than God's heart. God's heart is holy, it's forgiving, 
God's heart is pure. God's heart is loving. God's heart is honest. God's heart is giving. Contrast that with ours. Our heart is lustful. It's bitter. It's angry. It's hateful. It's dishonest. It's stingy. And if you say, well, my heart's none of those things. It's prideful, right? So, so our heart is just simply messed up. Jeremiah 17, 9 says it like this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately, <coughs> excuse me, desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart is deceitful above everything in creation. The human heart is deceitful and it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can really tap and understand and see the depths of how depraved and wicked the human heart can be? I mean, we've seen mankind do some pretty wicked things, things that we think, oh, that's as bad as it gets, only to find somebody that does something worse. Every one of us, no matter how good we are, are capable of unspeakable evil. We're we're capable of wickedness because we obtain, we uh, contain a human heart that is just by nature, by sin nature, it is wicked. It is completely the opposite of God. But I believe that something within our wicked heart longs for innocence. I don't know about you, when, I, when, when my kids were real little, little, when they were babies, I used to love to, I would pull them up real close to me. Just as close as I could get them, there was something about their innocence that I craved. You know, I recognized, man, I, I've made so many mistakes, I'm not innocent. I have this lustful, bitter, angry, dishonest heart, but there's something so innocent, and I just, I longed for that innocence. Because there's something within us that despite all of our stinginess and our pride and our selfishness that goes about to desire and get whatever it wants, something about that that doesn't satisfy. There's something about on the inside we recognize this is what I want, but it's really not what I want. And we long for innocence and purity and holiness, but we can't attain it in and of ourselves. So the difference between God's heart and our heart is what keeps us from being able to know God's heart. Look at this in, in Job. I'm going to hit some of these verses kind of fast. I'm not going to wait for you to get there. So you might, they'll be on the screen. And you might want to jot them down and look later. And all these verses this morning are from the, the New King James. But Job 11, 7 through 9 says, uh, Can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol or deeper than hell, deeper than the grave. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. Finding out the deep things of God are like, are, are like finding out how, are like, like walking the depths of the earth and the depths of the sea. His ways are past finding out. We cannot know the heart of God. It is so deep. It is so great. It is so holy. We are so sinful. Romans eleven thirty three through 34 says this. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. And his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who can know God's mind? Who can know God's heart? So here, do you see the dilemma? See, how can God expect us to have his heart? How can God look over the earth and try to find somebody after his own heart when none of us have his heart and none of us can find it? His heart is beyond us. It's beyond, uh, it's beyond finding out. And here's the answer. It's the flesh that can't know the heart of God. We are all made up of flesh and spirit, right? And it is the flesh that can never know the heart of God no matter how much we search and how much we find out. That's that's where a lot of people get goofed up. They're trying to come at God and find God intellectually. I want to understand God, so I'm going to discover His heart through my own efforts. And it's impossible. 
It's the Holy Spirit that knows the heart of God. And guess what it is that abides within the child of God? The Holy Spirit. Our flesh can't know the heart of God, but the Holy Spirit reveals to us, God's children, He reveals to us the heart of God. And He starts, he starts by revealing to us how wicked our heart is. Amen? We recognize that contrast and it puts us on a journey of trying to seek God's heart, to find it, that we might have it replaced, if you will. We have the Holy Spirit abiding within us. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will abide within you and He will teach you the things of which I have spoken, the things that I've said. It is the Holy Spirit that reveals to us God. Folks, we need to be on a diligent, a diligent seeking of the Holy Spirit. An infilling and a refilling of the Holy Spirit all the time. It is the Holy Spirit, folks, that will keep us and guide us through this life. We don't need to shy away. We need to press in. As the Holy Spirit begins to reveal to us, now look here what 1 Corinthians 2, 13-16 says, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man, that's our flesh, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Anything you know about God is only discerned or understood as a revelation of the Spirit. Amen? Uh, but, he who is, uh, but he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known, and again he quotes back in Isaiah, who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What man can know God? No man. But the Spirit of God can know God. And through the Spirit in us, we come to know the mind and the heart of God through Christ. Amen? When Christ came and He lived and He died, He spoke and He taught, folks, He gave us, He showed us the heart of God. Amen? To shy away from Jesus, to shy away from the, His Spirit that abides within us, is to shy away from the heart of God. And here's what happens when we shy away from the heart of God and we don't pursue to seek the heart of God. We're left with our own heart. And what was it like? Wicked, deceitful above all things. Look at what Ezekiel says, verse, chapter 11. Uh, Jeff actually quoted this in Sunday school this morning. Ezekiel 11, 19-21. This is God's promise to us. Because God, see, number one, let me tell you this. God sees our stinky heart, right? Uh, God sees our heart better than we see it. And so God's seen the nasty, deceitful, wicked heart of man and saw fit. Uh, God said, I really want to find somebody in the earth with my heart. But the only way I'm going to be able to find that is if I put my heart in them. Amen? And this is the promise that he gave. Then I will give them one heart. I will put a new spirit within them. Take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes or my commandments and in my judge, keep my judgments and do them. They shall be my people. I will be their God. But as for those whose hearts follow the the desire for their detestable things and their abominations, I will recompense or repay their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord. So what he's ultimately saying is this, there are always going to be those who desire their own heart, that don't desire to seek the heart of God, they'll just keep their own. And God says, if, we, if all you long for in this life 
is the desires of your own heart, then I will leave you to that and your payment will come later. But what he's saying is to those who don't like the heart that they've got, amen, to those who don't like the sin of the world and what it does to them, to those who long to know the God who created them and the God who died for them, Jesus said, I will take out that hard heart. I will take out the heart of flesh, the heart of stone that can't be moved, that can't be shaped, that can't be spoken to. I'll remove that heart and I'll give them a new heart. What heart is that? He said, I'll give them my heart. I'll give them a new spirit. I'll put my spirit within them and I'll give them my heart that they may know me and that they may know my ways. It's a promise of God. How can we ever know God? We can't in our flesh, but through the spirit we can Hallelujah. But folks, here's the thing now. We got to be on a desperate, we have to be on a desperate uh, pursuit of it. You don't find God's heart accidentally. You don't stumble upon God's heart and all of a sudden know what it is God wants you to know. We have to seek it. We seek God's heart. We look for it. In order for that to happen, folks, sometimes we have to have a good heart to heart with our heart. Amen. I just made that up right off the top of my head. We have to have a heart to heart with our heart, meaning we have to to stop and recognize, what do I really want out of this life? I mean, good grief, we're really here on this earth only a relatively short period of time. Do I really want to live for something so empty as myself? Or do I want to live for something greater than myself and find the heart of God? I mean, many times we, many times the problem that keeps us from finding God's heart is that we spend all of our time seeking God's hand. In God's hand, God's hand is full of blessings. And God loves and longs to meet the needs of His children. How many of you have ever experienced the blessings of God's hand? Amen. Thank you. Thank God. Praise God. His hand is always extended to us, and it's always full of blessing. But when we're constantly seeking His hand, we never see His heart. We're after what He can do for us, or I need Him, and I need Him. And it's always His hand that we're after. And God says, I want you to... Look past my hand. Look for my heart. It's in finding God's heart, folks, where the true blessings are. Sure, in His hand, He might provide the money you need for your bill. That's great. Sure, in His hand, He may provide you a good spouse. He might provide you a good child. In God's hand, you get all these blessings, and that's great, but all of those blessings are going to pass away. Right? It's when you find His heart where you find the true blessings that will never pass away. It is in his heart that you find out just how much he really loves you. Amen? Not because of what he gives you, but because because of what he's already done for you. Because of the life that he's given you, the breath, health, salvation. You find, in his heart, you find how dear you are to him. How much he adores you. You say, oh, I know God loves me. No, you don't. You, You and I do not fully comprehend how much God really loves and adores us. We can't comprehend it in our flesh. It's, it's a love that we just can't understand. I'm talking to a guy here all back and he's, he said, I, I know I need to forgive so and so and work through that. He said, he said, but one of the reasons I have a hard time, he said, I was a rough person. He said, I, I can't hardly wrap my brain around a God that would forgive me for all of that. It's hard to wrap our, our brain about around that when we recognize how wicked we are, but yet Yet I find a place in God's heart. <laughs> but it's in God's heart when you begin to realize, hey, I'm there, I'm in His heart. He, he cares for me, He's loving me, He's providing for me. Folks, there's not a blessing that He has in His hand that will ever be better than that blessing of knowing 
how much He adores, how much, how much He longs to be with us. Do you know when you find God's heart, you realize how much He wants... We, we talk a lot about being in God's presence and we want to be in God, But we, we understand that, that God wants to be in ours. He longs to be with us. Now in this life, He longs to be with us through His Spirit. He abides within us. In a service like this, when God's Spirit moves, He longs to be with His children. But folks, there's nothing that God longs for any more than the moment that we leave this world and enter eternity where we shall be His people and He will be our God. When you find His heart, you find out that this life is so little really about this life. We were created for this life. We were created for that life in which Christ would come and take us to be, He said, where I am... There you may be also. That's his heart. Jesus spoke and gave us the heart of God. Jesus said, where I am, there you may be also. I am going to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. Hallelujah. We find out when we see God's heart, we find out what blesses him. We figure out what God wants to do in the earth. God is not bored of this earth. God is not done with this earth. When we, think, when we see God's heart, we find out what he wants to do in the earth. We find out what He wants to do in the church. We find out what He wants to do in our family. We find out what He wants to do in us as an individual. Amen? When we find God's heart. But we have to be seeking it first. What does God want to do at Crossway Fellowship Church? I believe God's got a plan. I believe that there's something specific that God wants to do. But we have to seek His heart to know what that is. I believe there's something that God wants to do in me. I feel Him doing something in me. Amen? What does he want to do with me? I don't know. I've got to seek his heart in order to find out. But it's in his heart. Here's Jeremiah 29, 11 says this. It's God speaking to you and he's speaking to us. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. God said, I know what I think about you. We have this, you might have this preconceived idea that God is just, he's angry with you, he's given up on you. And God said, no, if you really knew my heart, you would know that I really like you a lot. I have, I have a good plan for you to give you a good future, not just in this life, not to make us rich and wealthy in this life. What future, what hope is it that God ultimately longs to give us? Eternal life, right? God said, I know what I think towards you, and when we find his heart, we find out what God thinks towards us. Amen? When we... Let me encourage you to say this. When we find God's heart, we automatically get access to His hand. Amen? You've heard me say before that we spend all of our time seeking blessings, but what we need to do is seek the blesser, and then the blessings will automatically come. To find God's heart, He opens His hand to those who have found His heart, and He meets our every need. Only seeking Jesus for what He can do for us, or what He can give us, or what He can get us out of, it leaves us with a very weak and shallow relationship with God. What can God do for me? What, God, I need. God, I want. God, God I, oh, I'm in a pickle now. Get me out. If, if, that, if that's what our relationship with God consists of, constantly looking for His hand, lift me up, God, get me out, help me do this, do that, then it's not that we don't know Him, but that's an awful weak and shallow relationship. God says, I want something better than that for you all. So turn with me in, into the book of John, chapter number 6. John chapter 6, verse 22. This is right after Jesus had fed the multitude by breaking the bread and the fish. 
working a <clears throat> tremendous miracle right in front of people's very eyes. It was an act of God's hand, right? When Jesus took, there's what, 5,000 some odd people out there, and he takes a few loaves of bread, and he takes a few fish, and he breaks it, and he feeds everybody to the point that they were full. It was an act of God's hand. God was providing their temporary need. Okay, and that was great, and that was awesome and everything. But then let's find what happened when people only seek his hand. In chapter 6, verse 22, On the following day when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum uh, seeking Jesus. And I might put that in air quotations, right? These people come seeking Jesus. Were they really seeking Jesus? Were they seeking his heart or were they seeking his hand? We find out that they were seeking his hand. He had fed them miraculously and they were hungry again, right? All those temporary blessings... It, it all is temporary. You eat, great. God provided for me miraculously to eat, but now I'm hungry again. So now they're after the, his hand once again, once again. Verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. He called them out on it, didn't he? Jesus shows up and like, oh, Jesus, there you are. Well, how, when did you get here? And he said, you guys aren't following me because of who I am. You're not following me because of the sign, the miracle that I did, revealing my heart to you that I want to provide your needs, that, that God has come to earth, you know, on your level to make, meet a need for you. You're not seeking me for who I am. You're just looking for my hand. You're looking for what I can give you. And he goes on to explain to them, not to labor for food. I'm going to read this word for word. But he goes on to explain to them, don't labor for food. He's trying to get them from a, from a temporary mindset, things that perish, things that go away, to an everlasting mindset. Seek the heart of God, not the hand of God. And he goes on talking about how he's the bread. He said, for the bread of God is he who... Uh, well, no, first of all, let me go back to verse 30. They said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. What do you think it is they're trying to get out of him? More bread. They're like, no, Lord, you're, uh, we're following you in here, but we need another sign. You know, and, uh, you, you know, in the olden days, God brought bread. For, they're just wanting some more bread. He had already given them plenty of a sign. I mean, if taking a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish and dividing it and feeding a multitude isn't enough of a sign, then no sign was ever going to cause them to believe. This was a very weak and shallow relationship that they were pursuing with Jesus Christ because it was all about... Him feeding their belly. It was all about what they could get from his hand. He said, look, most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. What are they still after? Bread. Jesus goes on in the rest of that chapter to explain to them, he said, I'm the bread of life. Moses brought that manna down from heaven. You, they ate at God's hand, but then they got hungry again. And eventually, 
those people died. They ate out of the hand of God their entire life, but they still died. You know why? Because the blessings we get out of the hand of God are temporary. So it's about sustaining us in this life, which is great. But what he's saying, when you tap into the heart of God, when you eat from the bread of life, when you partake of Christ and really see what the heart of God is all about, what the meaning of life is all about, and how that you can honor God in your life, then you're never hungry. There's a fulfilling. You're always satisfied in your inner being. You're prepared and you're ready. And you know, if you read on down through there, you find that people didn't like that. People didn't like that sermon. That was the day that people walked out of church because they didn't like the sermon. They said, well, this is hard. Who, who can hear this? And Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus knew their hearts. He knew who they were that believed and who they that weren't. And look at this in verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. From that moment, they, to them, well, if I'm not going to get anything from the hand of God, then I want nothing to do with the heart of God. They walked away and didn't follow him anymore. It's kind of ironic, really, I think, uh, that this is John chapter 6, verse 66. Think about that. John 6, 66. Remember the beast, what we think about being the Antichrist, that that rejects all that Christ is, that that rejects the heart of God. And in, in chapter 6, verse 66 is when they decide, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. They turned Antichrist, literally, in that moment. Because the heart of God wasn't sufficient for them. They wanted the hand. Seeking the bread of life rather than the bread. Solomon, on the other hand, if you want to turn back into 1 Kings chapter number 3, I think this is a better picture of how we should approach God and seek God. 1 Kings chapter 3 verse 4. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and said, and God said, ask, what shall I give you? You really got to grab a hold of this. This is God extending his hand to Solomon. Solomon, I'm, op I'm extending my hand to you and I will do for you whatever you want me to do. What is it you want from my hand? Verse 6 says, Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, my Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart. Look at this. This is what I'm asking for, God. Give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? He literally, Solomon literally looked past the hand of God that was extended to him and went right straight for his heart. God, I'm not so much interested in what your hand can give me as much as I'm interested in what your heart can show me. Amen? That I may know what is of you and what's not, that I can lead these people. And look what God said in verse 11. Uh, because you have asked this thing, in other words, because you have seeked my heart and not just my hand, and have not asked for long life for yourself, nor asked for riches for yourself, nor asked for the life of your enemies, all of those things which would be temporary, by the way, 
He could have asked God for a long life. God would have gave it to him. And what would happen to him still? Still going to die, right? God could have, he could have asked for the heads of his enemies so that he don't have any battles. God could have done that. What's going to happen eventually? He's still going to die, right? All of those things he would have received at God's hand would have been temporary. But you've asked that you might discern between judgment. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before, nor shall any be arise after you. And I have also given you what you did not ask, both riches and honor, so that there shall be none, anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. What happened here? What do we just see here? Solomon seeked God's heart over his hand. He found the heart of God, and then God opened his hand to him. Not only, am I going to, not only am I giving you a picture of my heart and giving you the discernment that you've asked for, I'm also going to give you a long life, going to give you your enemies. I'm going, to, I'm going to bless you from my hand because you got it in the proper order. Let me encourage you this morning today. I know that there are situations in our life arising. We always need answers. We need answers to this question. We need, we need direction for this. And we find ourselves constantly seeking for answers. And I felt like the Lord showed me this weekend as I was praying and seeking God, different things even here, there's answers, there's things that need to be answered, you know, as far as the church is concerned, as we grow and as we minister, and there's answers that you need in your life, maybe it's your finances, your children, we're just constantly seeking answers, and we get frustrated, because we're looking for the hand of God, Lord, I need you to answer this, Lord, I need you to answer that, and it was like the Lord just put his finger on my chest for a minute, and slowed me down and said, look, you need to stop looking for answers, and just start looking for the answer, capital A. Quit looking for all of the answers and just seek me. Seek my heart and as you find my heart, you're going to have the answers for all of these questions that you've got. You're looking in the wrong place. God said, Gus, I'll open my hand to you. I'll give you what you need. I'll provide for you. But don't seek my hand. Seek my heart. The more God's heart is revealed to us, folks, the more obvious those answers will become as the questions arise. I think that if we, on a constantly regular basis throughout our whole life, are seeking the heart of God, not just when we need something, not just when we're going through a problem, oh, I better find God's heart. No, no. If, if, our, if, our, if we're on a lifelong pursuit to find the heart of God, that's the most important thing to us, despite His hand, we want His heart. He begins to reveal it to us. He begins to give us his heart. He begins to give us his mind. And then when situations arise, folks, many times we'll just automatically know what to do. It'll eliminate a lot of time in which we're looking for answers. God just says, you've already got my heart. You know what to do. Hallelujah. What a, what a more relaxed way to live. Amen. God's saying, I think you guys are overthinking this quite a bit. You're just looking to the wrong place. I want to leave you with one last thought. This kind of blessed me yesterday as I was kind of reading this. It's, the, it's, in, it's in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Jesus had been invited to uh, a man's house. The man's name was Simon. He was a big wig. He was a big religious, he was a Pharisee, big religious guy. Had all the church going things down, you might say. So he went to eat dinner with him. And in Luke chapter 7, verse 36, um, Oh, I went in the wrong place. I went to John. I want to be in Luke. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. It says, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and 
as he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat, behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. You need to understand this is, this is something that's very expensive. This isn't like going to Walmart and buying a $3 bottle of you know, perfume. An alabaster box, this was a very expensive ointment that didn't come by easy. And she brings it to Jesus, and she stood, it, she stood at his feet behind him, weeping. She began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. She kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Folks, these, this lady didn't want anything. She wasn't asking Jesus for anything. She had experienced deliverance from Christ. She recognized who he was. She recognized his godness, that he was God in flesh. And as she come to understand who he was, and she made a connection with his heart, all she could do was just weep. All she could do was just worship him, wipe his feet. She wasn't asking for nothing. Hallelujah. She was just honoring him. And, of course, Simon and some of the other guys were just appalled. Oh, if he knew how sinful this lady was, he wouldn't be letting her touch him. And they were all up in arms. And, and Jesus said, look, you, I've been here in your house, Simon. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't treat me like this. And he goes on, he turns his attention back to the lady, and this is what he says in the very last parts of this chapter. Verse 48. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, it's like he's ignoring all the rest. We're just interested really in the hand of God, right? Oh God, get us out of the Romans' hands. Oh God, you know, make us rich. Oh God, all they were interested in the hand of God. But he turns to this woman who had been seeking the heart of God and he says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. <laughs> when she found the heart of God, she found forgiveness. She found peace. She found direction for her life. She found purpose. The last thing on her mind was what God could give her. What status she held in the church or in society. She'd seen God's heart. Folks, I believe that God... I believe God's extending an offer to us to peek in on His heart. If we can get off of ourselves for just a little while, if we can get past our need for His hand for just a little while and look for His heart, He's going to show it to us. I believe He's going to show it to us. He did Moses. Remember Moses said, God, I beseech you, show me your glory. What was he ultimately saying? God, I want to see your heart. I want to see you like I've never seen you before. I want to see you on a deeper level. And God says, okay. Right? Hides him in the cleft of the rock and Moses got to see a part of God that no man has ever seen, something he'd never seen before, for sure. I believe the offer is good even today in 2018. The Crossway Fellowship Church that God's saying, look, I'm extending. God said, I'm, there's a curtain on my heart, and I'm giving you the invitation to pull that curtain back and see my heart. But you've got to look for it. I love the song. She didn't have no idea what was going to preach this morning, but the song we sang at the very beginning, So Forget About Yourself. Concentrate on who? Concentrate on Him and worship Him. Forget about yourself and your need for His hand just for a while. Concentrate on Him and what His heart is for you as an individual, for your family, for this church. Can we seek God's heart together? Can we stand? Let's take just a minute. I, I, I'm not even going to extend an altar call just yet. I will in a minute. 
Right now, can we just take a minute? Everybody close your eyes. Can you make a connection with, with God this morning? We'll pray for you after a while if, if you have needs. God's hand is still extended. He'll meet your needs. But I want us first, before we do that, to seek God's heart. I can't do that for you. It's something you got to do for yourself. Let's take a minute as they sing. Just worship Jesus for a little bit, would you? Just worship Jesus for a while. Hallelujah.